And tonight we're going to focus our attention uh, on the verse uh, number one again. We're going to look at the second part. We looked at the first part uh, last time we are in the book of Jude. Before we do, we want to play a little game called Who Am I? Now, not me personally, uh, but I'm going to give you some statements about an individual. And uh, if you think you know who we're talking about, just go ahead and say it. Uh, who am I? And so I know you're all excited and ready and raring. Mr. Williams taking his jacket off. He's going to get so into this game. All right. Who am I? I was born on January 17th, 1706. Now, I'm sure that one's a real help to you. Let's move on. I was born in Milk Street, Boston. You didn't ruin the game. You're right. You're right. Let me give you the rest of it. My wife's name was Deborah. I was the founder of the Union Fire Company. I could play a violin, a harp, and a guitar. I did not know this one. I invented the urinary catheter. Did you know Benjamin Franklin did that? I invented bifocals. Probably a lot of people knew that. I invented the lightning rod. And I once flew a kite in a storm. That one would have given it away for sure. But you just know your history so well, Lynn, you just jump right in there. Well, some of us remember things we maybe learned in history class. Others, you know, we're glad we passed history class. But have you ever played the game, Who Am I, concerning yourself? Have you ever thought about really who you are? And I'm thinking specifically tonight in asking yourself, Who am I? In regards to my relationship with Christ. Who am I in Christ? Who am I in the Lord Jesus? Many Christians have no idea who they are. Nor what they have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, In other words, they live as spiritual paupers. When they are sons and daughters of the king. And in case that's the... The, the, the situation of anybody here tonight, I hope that will be different by the time we're done. You can begin to appreciate and realize just who you are um, in Christ. And we're calling tonight's lesson, Do You Know Who You Are? And tonight's lesson is for Christians. It's for believers, uh, those who know the Lord Jesus. And if that's you, what we're going to talk about is for you uh, as you've come to him in repentance and faith. So let's look again at Jude 1. Now, last time we studied the book of Jude, we looked at the first part of verse 1. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. And we spent the time uh, together looking at those words and that phrase. Now, tonight, we move on to the second part of verse 1, where it says, To those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Let's put the whole verse back together. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to assign some scripture references as we go, and all of these are listed on your worksheet there. Uh, so as we come to those, I'll say, okay, let's assign these. And when you, we come to those, if you don't mind looking that up and being prepared to read. Let's talk about what we learn here in Jude verse 1, as it talks about to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. As a believer, I want you to notice first of all tonight, as a believer, I'm called by the Spirit. If you're saved tonight, you're saved only because God drew you to himself. The Holy Spirit worked in your heart and your life, convicted you of your sin, showed you that you needed the Lord Jesus, and brought you to Christ. You want to jot down these references. John 6, 44. No one can come to me, Jesus says, 
unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. And the Holy Spirit, by the way, the Holy Spirit is not an it, it's a he, it's a person, the third person of the Trinity. God, the Holy Spirit, convicts a person and draws them. Listen to John 16, 7 through 11. The Lord Jesus is speaking again in John 16, verses 7 through 11. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Now, wait a minute. If you're sitting there that day listening to the Lord Jesus, and he looks at you and says, it's to your advantage that I'm going away. What would be your initial reaction? What are you talking about? It'd be so much better for you to be with us here, to, to let us walk with you and talk with you and serve you and see you and listen to you. But he says, no, it's to your advantage that I go away. Why? For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. And the helper's capitalized there. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, notice what he's going to do. He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, and of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So Jesus says, listen, it's to your advantage that I go away, because when I go away, I'm going to send the helper or the comforter unto you. And when the Holy Spirit comes, here's what he's going to do. He's going to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Now, of course, we know this is not a study on the Holy Spirit, but we know the Holy Spirit indwells us as believers. We know he indwells us and he desires to fill us as we yield our lives to him. But God, the Holy Spirit, convicts us and draws us to the Lord Jesus. Now, if God, the Holy Spirit, does not do that, then the person will not be saved. You know, I realize when I stand up and I preach and I teach or if you share the gospel. And for those of you who went through share Jesus without fear, we put a lot of emphasis upon the work of the Holy Spirit. Because it's the work of the Holy Spirit that he does in a person's life that brings a person to saving faith in the Lord Jesus. We've got to remember that God seeks us first. We see that all the way back in the Garden of Eden. Do you remember when Adam and Eve sinned and they ate of that fruit? They went running to God, didn't they? No. They went and did what? They ran and hid. And they were hiding from God because they realized their eyes were open. They realized they had sinned. And God came and he came seeking them. And he says, Adam, where art thou? Now, he, they weren't, uh, he, did, he knew where they were, but he was calling out. And there they were trying to hide from God in their own self-righteousness. Remember, they had taken leaves and tried to cover themselves in their nakedness. And we know later on that God came seeking after them. God provided skins, which meant there was a sacrifice that had to take place. Blood had to be shed and uh, brought them back to himself. God calls us by a spirit. We respond to that call. God calls us. We respond. And as a believer, you can say tonight that you're called by the spirit. Now, let's get some references. You see a big list there from Sam Gordon. Some of the blessings of God's calling, because we know that the calling includes the call to salvation. But there are other uh, callings, if you will. Let's look at these. Who look up the first one? First Corinthians one nine. All right. Who look up first Peter three nine. All right, who'll look up Galatians 5.13? All right, thank you, Freddie. Who'll look up 1 Corinthians 7.15? All right, thank you. Who'll look up 1 Peter 1.15? Miss Ruby, will you take that one? You can't see? All right. All right, 1 Peter 1.15. I can take that if we need to. All right, why don't you take that one too then, Miss Priscilla? And I'll take Ephesians 4 while y'all are finding those. All right. 
And then keep yours open, Miss Priscilla, because there's First Peter five there as well. So you you get uh, you get a triple blessing tonight. The Bible teaches we have been called, and Sam Gordon points out several callings here. First of all, we're called to fellowship with the Son. Uh, who who took First Corinthians one nine? God is faithful, through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you. Is that not an awesome thought? We're called to fellowship with God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have fellowship with Christ. We're heirs and joint heirs with Christ. I'm sure you've got some good friends. You've got great family. But imagine being able to fellowship with the Lord Jesus. That's one of the callings that God's placed upon our life. We're called to inherit a blessing. Who has 1 Peter 3, 9, please? Not rendering evil for evil, or raying for raying, but contrary wise blessing, <coughs> that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. Inherit a blessing. God has not only given us salvation and all that it entails, but all the blessings that go along with salvation. Uh, what a fantastic, uh, wonderful God. We talked about the goodness of God last week. He is an awesome God, giving us salvation and all the blessings that attend to it. We're called to freedom. Praise the Lord for that. That's Galatians 5.13. For you, brethren, have been called to the liberty. Honest, do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Thank you, brother. You know, Galatians, we studied Galatians on a Wednesday night. It was all about legalism and being delivered from legalism and, and all that went with that. We've been called to freedom in Christ. We don't serve the law. We don't serve a religious system. We serve our Lord and Savior. We're called to freedom. We're also called to peace. Who has 1 Corinthians 7.15? But if the unbeliever leaves, let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. And so God has blessed us in that regard, that we are called to peace. We can have peace with God and, and the peace of God in our lives. We're called, here's one we often forget, people forget this, we're called to holiness. Uh, we don't hear a lot about holiness today. First uh, Peter 1.15, did we get that one? Oh, I think Ms. Priscilla is going to take that one. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Thank you. We're to be holy. We're to be different. Now, it's not because we're going to appear to be better than everybody else and, and make ourselves better. We're to be holy, and, and we can be holy because the Lord has given us his salvation and forgiveness. And we want to be like him. And we want to desire others to come and to be holy as well as they come to know Christ. We're called to a worthy walk. Ephesians 4.1. I'll take these next two. I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Now of course if you go into verse 2 it talks about how. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. We just talked about peace. But we're called to walk a worthy walk. A walk of lowliness and long-suffering and love. Is that not what the Lord Jesus did? That's the kind of walk he had, isn't it? We're to walk like the Lord Jesus. And then we're called to one hope. Ephesians 4.4. 4. It says, goes on to say, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. So we're called to one hope. And then finally we're called there in this particular list to eternal glory. Uh, would you read, please, 1 Peter 5.10? But, but the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, 
make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. Yes. We know positionally in Christ we're already perfect. We're perfect in Christ. But all we have to do is look in the mirror to realize we're not perfect practically, are we? All of us fail. All of us fumble. All of us sin and have to seek his forgiveness and his cleansing. But one day, one day we're going to be perfect not only positionally in Christ, we're going to be perfect practically. What an awesome day. So we're called. Here we go again. I'm going to ask Santa Claus for some new markers. What do y'all think? Every time I try to mark with these things, that's what we're going to start doing, throwing them out. Let's try again. There we go. We're called by the Spirit. <clears throat> and so if you've not been called by the Spirit uh, to salvation, you're not saved. It's just that plain and simple because God the Holy Spirit is the one who does the work. Now secondly... We're going to notice tonight that we're sanctified by the Father. Sanctified by the Father. Look at verse 1 again of the book of Jude, where it says to those who are called and then sanctified by God the Father. Now, I'm reading from the New King James. Your version may have the words beloved by the Father or loved by the Father. Anybody have anything like that or different? Okay, you have loved or beloved? You have beloved? You have loved? Okay, uh, the New King James has it sanctified here. The word is actually the Greek word hagiadzo, okay, uh, from what we're translated here. And it means, that was a blessing to you, wasn't it? You got your Greek word for tonight? And, and it. <laughs> And, of course, we are beloved by God, and we're loved by God, and we're sanctified by God. The idea behind sanctified by God is it means to be made holy, uh, to ceremonially make something holy, to consecrate it, uh, to hallow, to sanctify. Really, it means to set apart. Remember when you study the Old Testament and they're preparing um, the instruments to use in the temple or the tabernacle? Uh, they would sanctify those things. They would take the priesthood. They would sanctify and set them apart. Sanctify means to be set aside. Now, that means set aside not to do anything with you. It means you're set aside for God's glory. You're set aside for God's use. In other words, God the Father is working to sanctify us. That is, he's working to make us more like his son, the Lord Jesus. Uh, William Canoy, I think I put this in your notes, said this. The workman is on parade to glorify God. He is God's display to a lost and dying world. Now, think about that for a moment. If you're a believer tonight and you know the Lord Jesus, you are on a parade to glorify God. You say, what does that mean? Well, what's the Bible teaches? We mentioned this verse a lot. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Uh, our church mission statement, the very first phrase says glorify God. Everything we do here is supposed to glorify God. Eating supper tonight over next door, we should have done that to the glory of God. Um, just makes just just down to earth stuff, isn't it? We often think that the spiritual life and and the life of holiness is all about us. Uh, I don't know, getting in a cave somewhere and chanting something or whatever. Listen, this this is Christianity with shoes on. This is practical, down to earth living. We're to glorify God. We're to thank Him and praise Him for what He's given us. We're to eat it gratefully. We're to rejoice in our our Savior. And we're also notice the next part. He is God's display to a lost and dying world. You're on display for a lost and dying world. You're the only Bible some people are ever going to read. 
That's a scary thought, isn't it? Sometimes. Uh, you're the only Bible. You're the only sermon they're going to hear. It's from what they observe from you. Uh, when you meet them out in the street, maybe you have interaction with them, maybe it's a neighbor or whatever, you're on display for God's glory. You're God's display to a lost and dying world. Now, he gives, William Conoy there gives seven truths uh, in connection to this. We're not going to take the time to look up all these, but notice these seven truths, and you can look them up at your leisure. Redeemed, we're separated, made righteous by Jesus Christ. We're to be a purged and purified vessel. We're to be separated from the world. Now, what does that mean to be separate from the world? Does that mean we leave everything, we become a monk, or uh, we move in a cave somewhere? No. It means we don't have this world's system, this world's philosophy, this world's values. We're different. We think differently. Uh, how are we supposed to think? We're to think biblically. We're to think in line with God's word and God's will. We're to be, next notice D there, we're to be trained in the word of God. Trained in the word of God. We're to be obedient to our master. We're to stand against the enemy. And we're to strive for the faith of the gospel. And so we see there that God is working in our lives. We're sanctified by God the Father. And, he, and it's an ongoing work, isn't it? Now, positionally in Christ, we're already sanctified. We're already perfect. But practically speaking, God is working tonight in our lives to make us more like his son, the Lord Jesus. Which brings up our third point. We're preserved... We're preserved in the Son. Now, the way I outlined this, I thought was interesting, because you notice uh, the end here, we have all of the members of the Godhead at work actively in our life. We're called by the Spirit, sanctified by the Father, preserved in the Son. And of course, we know that God is God and God is one, but we see them working and carrying out the God the Son died for us. God the Father sent His only begotten Son to the world that He might give His Son. Uh, God the Holy Spirit works in our lives and, and, and worked in, in uh, uh, carrying out salvation. So we see the members of the Godhead working here in this third one as we're preserved in the Son. Look at Jude 1 again. It says, To those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Now, in other words, here's what it's saying. We're kept in the Son. Now, the Greek word... And I, I hate to keep going into that perchance I don't want to bore anybody or anything. But listen, uh, the scholars tell us, and I'm no Greek scholar. I had Greek in Bible college, and it was a challenge, to say the least. But the Greek scholars uh, tell us that this is in the perfect tense. And the perfect tense means this. Our nearest English equivalent is this. We're continually kept. We're continually kept in the sun. When you understand that, it takes on a whole other meaning. Not just preserved, but continually preserved. Day in and day out. The word in the original expresses a watchful care or close attention. Now, I'll give you that quote there. A Christian is someone who is kept by Jesus Christ. That means our security and safety are his complete concern. It is his responsibility to look after us until the moment, notice this, until the moment when Jesus comes again. The Lord never takes his eyes off of us, for he is constantly watching over us every minute of every day. He is guarding our footsteps along each mile of the way. That's an awesome thought, beloved. He has his eyes upon you every second of every day. He's watching you. You're preserved in the sun. You're continually kept. Watchful care. Close attention. Now, with that in mind, turn to Romans 8. And I think we see a picture of this in Romans chapter 8.
Romans chapter 8, and we'll begin reading at verse 28. And think about his keeping of us. Romans 8, and we'll begin reading at verse 28. Now, Romans 8, 28 is a very famous, familiar verse. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew he also predestinated, predestinated to do what? To be conformed to the image of his Son. Remember we talked about sanctification. He's made us like Jesus. That he might be in the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestinated, these he also called. We talked about his calling. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. And furthermore, it is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. So he's praying for us even now. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And that we're preserved in Christ, right? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's an awesome thought, beloved. Now, we know that Jude says that we're called by the Spirit and sanctified by the Father and preserved in the Son, and we're understanding He's working. But what does that mean to us tonight? Here we are. Uh, closing out 2010, God willing, getting ready to go into a, a new year. Uh, many here are facing challenges, many challenges in the days to come. What does this that we're learning from Jude mean to us tonight? Well, it, it really falls in line with what we've been covering on Sunday mornings, doesn't it? We're talking about our shepherd. The Lord is our shepherd. His watch care over us. But here's the question. Does this encourage you tonight? Because no matter what you're going through, God is with you. God is with you. You are being sanctified by the Father. You're, you're, you're being preserved, continually kept and watched over and prayed for by the Son. Now listen, you might be going through some difficult times. You might be going through some very dark valleys, some real storms. But God is working in you. God is molding you and shaping you into the image of His Son. That's what Romans 8.28 is all about. And we need to remember, in the midst of this time, you know, when the storms come in life, it's real easy to feel like you're all alone. But we've got to remember, remember that we're not alone. Uh, God is holding us, and He will not let go. We're preserved, continually kept in His hand. And in the midst of all that's going on in us, and all that's happening to us, God is working with all that, and He's molding us, and shaping us, and forming us, and He's getting some rough edges off here and he's honing something over here and he's polishing something over there and he's making us like his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's not done. One day he'll be done, but he's not done. Now, I was reading this past week uh, in the book Too Busy Not to Pray uh, by Bill Hybels. It's a classic book on prayer. 
And as I was reading, he was talking about how uh, he went back and examined his prayers. He's talking about the importance of going back and looking at your prayers, especially if your prayers aren't being answered, to see if maybe there's something wrong, maybe you're asking with the wrong motive or a wrong heart, or maybe you're not right with the Lord or whatever. But he said he went back to examine his prayers, and he realized he was way off base. Because here's what he discovered. He was really praying, not in these words, but here's what he was really praying for. He was praying for an easy, problem-free life. That's what he was praying for. Not those words. He didn't say, dear God, give me an easy problem for your life. But by his request, that's what he was asking for. And man, when you read that, you think, "Mm, I can relate. But here's what he pointed out. What he was really doing was he was asking the Lord to keep him from growing. He was asking the Lord to keep him from changing. Because in all honesty, he was asking the Lord to keep him from developing true character. Because let's just be honest about it tonight. At what points in our life do we really grow? Do we really become more like the Lord? And does God really grow us and shape us and mold us? During the easy, problem, wrinkle-free times? Let's be honest about it. We love those, don't we? If it was up to us and God said, would you like a problem-free, wrinkle-free life? You'd say, well, sure, thanks. But God doesn't give us that option. But let's be honest about it. When do we really grow? During the hard times, don't we? The times that stretch us and mold us, uh, when the storms are raging around us, when when the, the fire is hot and all these things are going on, that's when God can really have us just cast herself upon him. Because in all honesty, in the tough times of life, it comes a point we are, I hate to use the word forced, but that's really what it is. We're forced to depend upon God and to trust God in those times. Now, it's sad. It's sad that we have to come to that point. Oh, to God, we were so mature that we'd have to go through all that. And we could just say, you know, I just, I just cast myself upon you. And we talked about that some this past Sunday, I believe it was. We talked about how God chastens us. And maybe, maybe we're, we're not focused on him or we're in sin or whatever else. And God has to chasten us to bring us back to himself. God does not want us to be self-sufficient. Now, we're Americans, right? And Americans... Well, that used to be the case. That, I don't know if Americans want to be self-sufficient. They want to be government-sufficient, right? Uh, but, you know, we're, we're true Americans. We want to be able to you know, work hard and do all these things. But listen, God doesn't want us to be self-sufficient. God wants us to be God-dependent and realize that the sufficiency is in Him and not in us. You see, the identity we're talking about tonight, who we are in Christ, we're called by the Spirit, we're sanctified by the Father, we're preserved of the Son, This is not because of who we are. It's because of who he is, who our Savior is. We are these things. Draw this on there. Get a different color and emphasize. Maybe this will work. We are these things in Christ. In Christ. We've been called by the Spirit. We've been sanctified by the Father. We've been preserved in the Son. In Christ. This is who we are in Christ. Not of ourselves. Of ourselves, we're poor, blind, naked, miserable, and condemned. That's who we are. Uh, Without hope and lost in this present world and lost for all eternity. Destined for damnation and hell. That's who we are. 
That's, a, that's not a pretty picture. But in Christ, we're called by the Spirit, sanctified by the Father, preserved in the Son. We're glory-bound, destined for heaven, and heir and joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're kept in His hand. We're preserved. We're constantly being kept and guided and shepherded. See, this is not about our righteousness. The Bible says our righteousness is what? It is as what? Filthy rags. That's our righteousness. It's not about our righteousness. It's about His righteousness. It's not about our goodness. The Bible says there's none good. No, not one. That is, none of us are good. We're all sinners. It's about His goodness. So I ask you again tonight, do you know who you are in Christ? Now, the next question is this. If you do know who you are, are you experiencing this in your life? Is it a present reality in your life? Do you realize you've been called by God's Holy Spirit? That, that God is working, you're sanctified by the Father, that God is working and you're, you're, you're looking at what He's doing and you're thanking Him and praising Him. Listen, I hope you can look at your life. I think about my own life, and I only say this to God's glory. You know, I can see areas where I've grown. And I can see areas now where I need to grow a whole lot. That's the thing about the Christian life. We never reach the point where we say, well, you know, I'm done. I'm polished and I'm shining. Because right then we've got a pride problem, don't we? And God has to go to work on that pride problem. We're always being shaped and stretched and we're growing. But I see areas in my own life where I've grown. And I see other areas in my life where I've got to grow a whole lot more. And I hope that's the case with you, beloved. Because we're to constantly be growing and becoming more like the Lord Jesus. Listen, rejoice and thank Him for the areas for which you've grown. And rejoice in Him, not yourself. His goodness, His righteousness, His working in your life. But then allow Him to work in those areas where you still need to grow. You know, one of the good things we can do when these storms come in our life is we can ask the Lord, what does He want us to learn in the midst of this storm? What do you want us to learn in the midst of these challenges? What is it, God, you're trying to teach me? What is it that I need to learn? Or who is it I need to touch? Uh, you know, God may bring some things in our life just to be able to reach someone else for the gospel. And that's, that's a, an awesome thought within itself we could think about and chew on for a while. Are you enjoying and experiencing who you are in Christ? Who you are in Christ. This ties in so nicely you know, Jude, what we're studying right now in Jude, and of course we're going to be moving on thinking about apostates pretty soon, but right now in this opening verses, times is nice where we're talking about the shepherd and the shepherd's care for the sheep. Now, do you know who you are in Christ? And the second question that we would ask you is this, do you know what you have in Christ? You know who you are in Christ, but do you know what you have in Christ? You know, if, if your last name were... Gates, and you found out that your long lost father's name was William, or is his name William, or Bill, and you realized who you were, what would you think next? What do I have? But here's the great news our Father is in heaven, we know who we are. Now, the next question is, what do we have? And to find out the answer to that, we'll have to wait till the next time, and we'll jump in and see what we have next time. Let's pray and praise Him tonight. Any comments or thoughts on what we've looked at tonight? We have an awesome God. Wonderful God we serve. Let's pray and thank Him for it. Now I'm going to do something I don't do often. I'm going to let you go early. Don't tell.
Don't share with that because we don't do it often, but I'll let you go early tonight. Father, we love you and praise you and thank you for your blessings. Thank you, Lord, that we're called by your spirit, sanctified by the Father, and preserved in the Son. Thank you for who we are in Christ. Father, thank you for your grace and mercy in seeking us and saving us. We as little puny rebels shook our fist in your face, but you came in love and tenderness. You convicted us of sin. You showed us our complete undoing and our undone condition. And you drew us to yourself, to faith and repentance, and placing that in Christ. Father, I pray that you dismiss us in thy care and thy love. Help us, Lord, even the rest of this week and the days to come to realize that you're in work. You're at work in our life. You're working. We can trust you. You're our Savior, our Shepherd, our friend. Thank you for the fellowship we enjoy with Christ. Thank you for the promises and the hope that we have. Dismiss now in thy care and thy love. Watch over us. Take us safely to our homes and our separate ways. Bring us back together again when the doors of this place are open. We might rejoice and worship again together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.